0: Hi this is Amber and welcome to today's podcast. The website is sacredspacehealing.org, that's sacredspacehealing.org. I'm a Reiki master teacher, shamanic practitioner and energy healer and coach and I've been running my own healing practice since 2007 and these podcasts are here to assist you on your journey of healing and gnosis and also to share my ways of working. So my ways of working include core wound healing, life purpose work, sacred union sessions and uh the one-to-one coaching calls and I work with clients across the world online um, that way has been working for the last five six years and I've not found the online sessions to be any hindrance really to doing really good work I tend to predominantly work with clients in the states um, but Europe has recently opened its doors to the work as well uh, which is a joy so the website is sacredspacehealing.org do you check it out for further podcasts and also on information on how to donate in order to keep the content free or to say thank you, there's a donations page on the homepage. You can also leave a nice review if these podcasts have assisted you on the iTunes channel. And you can subscribe to the iTunes iTunes channel as well. So in today's podcast I'd like to shine a light on plastic shaman. It's a term that you might not be familiar with. I think it's a term that's predominantly used within the spiritual industry. A plastic shaman is basically a fake. Um, That's why they're called a plastic shaman. And uh, the other day I was watching, well, I had something on uh, TV on in the background um, as I was doing some some housework, and up popped a shaman, a plastic shaman, albeit, who um, I had crossed paths with many, many years previously. Uh, and had found his ways to be quite dangerous and unhinged. Um, He tended to drink a lot, smoke a lot, do a lot of drugs um, and then go to plant medicine ceremonies in order to clear himself of gunk and he would be the most sort of dramatic person in ceremony, screaming and shouting and rolling about on the floor. Um, And just had that kind of personality where he didn't really take care of himself and so how was he ever going to take care of his, his clients? But he had a gift, you know, he had seers- the gift of seership. And um, and when he was clean, and, and his power was quite good, he just didn't stay clean for very long. And his integrity was always something that was called into question. Anyway, I hadn't crossed paths with him for a very long time, wasn't sure what he was doing, and up he pops on my TV screen. And he's doing a journey for some people on a program to help them find their power animal. And the feedback he's giving them, on their power animal and why they didn't meet their power animal, was laughable. And I suddenly had, popping into my head, plastic shaman, what is going on? And I've realised that in the last few years, probably five years, you know, shamanism has become very trendy. And, uh, you know, everyone wants to either train to be a shaman or everyone wants to meet a shaman or they want to sit in circle with a shaman, um, because it's become this trendy thing. It's in our TV programs and our films, and of course, you know, if it's on some daytime program, then it really is becoming something that's um, becoming trendified, really. And because of this, people are training in shamanism uh, for, you know, a weekend or in an online course or a couple of workshops here and there, and then they're calling themselves shaman. And they're doing a lot of damage in, in terms of healing work because their work is basically lacking in integrity and power and focus um, and it and if it's not done in the right way it can actually cause more damage than good. You know if this individual that's working on you is a plastic shaman and they're not keeping their energy field clear you don't know what kind of energies are coming in to harm you or hurt you um, or even make things worse. Plastic shamans seem to fall into two categories. So you have, on the one hand, your highly educated, or highly moneyed, plastic shaman, who've gone and done expensive courses, in country retreats, and they have all the paraphernalia. They have the amazing drum. They have all the incense. They have the amazing house with the garden and the um, the yurt that they can, you know, do their treatments in or the treatment rooms in. Um, Harley Street or wherever that they can hire for huge amounts of money. They look the part, they've um they've done the workshop, so they've spent a lot of money on their training. And for them it's a it's a distraction. It's a kind of, oh my other career didn't work out, so I thought I'd do this, or I didn't know I didn't know what to do with myself, so I thought I'd become a shaman. Maybe they went travelling and they came across some shamanic Um, rituals or they read a book on shamanism and it took over their life and they thought yeah this is a great thing for me to do as well I can offer it as well and they come out the work with a very uh, intellectual very cerebral um, approach to the work very methodical and in some ways that's no bad thing Um, but in other ways I feel that if Your livelihood isn't really dependent on doing this work and doing it well, then it will always be a hobby. You won't really go that extra mile for your clients. You won't really keep training or retraining. You can get caught up in the mind and the concepts of shamanism and the concept of healing rather than actually the sort of dirty nuts and bolts aspect of healing. Also, um, you know, in healing, Your healer can only help you as much as they've lived through themselves. And a lot of these moneyed plastic shamans haven't really gone to healing because there's been a trauma or some terrible thing has happened to them. It's more that it was just a thing to do. You know, it it, it was born out of ennui. It was born out of boredom. And for that reason, they are limited in what they can offer because they've not had to crawl through the dirt and the mud just to survive. They didn't go to shamanism to heal themselves, really. They went to it because it was an interesting intellectual concept and they were able to pay for all of the wonderful paraphernalia and all of the wonderful workshops and the retreats and the travel that have these days gone into making up what it is to be a shaman and trained to be a shaman. And then in your other camp of Plastic Shaman, you have the non-moneyed, non-educated shaman. They tend to be from various parts of the country. Um, I'm not going to mention those parts of the country because it will look like I'm making an aspersion and I'm not, but they tend to be from certain parts of the country and they sort of congregate together. And they are a type of individual that has never fitted in in society. They can't hold down a full-time job. They may have struggled at school. They probably didn't get a full-time education. And because they couldn't hold down a full-time job, or um, they weren't very good with money, um, or they've been displaced most of their life. They've been seeking for a really long time. And then they stumble across someone who does a tarot card reading, or uh, they go to a journey to meet your power animal, or they went to a plant medicine ceremony, which are illegal in this country, by the way, um, and they find this thing called shamanism. And they suddenly discover that when they do this, this thing called shamanism, when they bang a drum or they, you know, burn some sage, that people start to really respect them. And that whereas before they were probably a down and out, if you like, a kind of reject of society in their eyes, because they weren't fitting into the matrix or they weren't making enough money, now they've discovered they can actually make quite a lot of money, more money than they've ever known before. And they can get quite a lot of respect within their community. People are coming to them now. People want to see them. Their diary, in inverted commas, is getting booked out. And they never even had a diary before. This type of plastic shaman is not coming at it from a cerebral perspective. They're not going to intellectualize everything. Everything is going to be very based on a feeling. Oh, I had a feeling my guides told me, or I did a pendulum on this. They'll be erratic. They won't keep to appointments. Um, They'll run over often. They'll cut appointments short. They won't give you an intellectual or a grounded perspective on healing. It'll all be about what's happening in the moment, very spur of the moment. And responsibility will always be put back on you, as in if the healing isn't working, you're doing something wrong. They'll give you rituals and tools that aren't particularly lasting and that are very basic. And I think the overall thing to say about this type of plastic shaman is that everything is very basic, Because they haven't had the money to do the exclusive training, but they've cobbled together their money and their pennies and done some training. But they've probably trained with people that are of a lower understanding of shamanism than others. Now, what does this mean for you looking for your shaman? Well, the first thing is you're not going to find your shaman in a city sitting in a treatment room in an expensive Residential complex somewhere, or you know, on an expensive street, you're not going to find your shaman on the internet with some swanky website. You know, shamanism, as I have said time and again, is an indigenous way of healing that is specific to every nation. Every nation has their shaman, whether you know, you're talking about North Africa, South uh, North Africa, um, South America, North America. Uh, the Celtic Isles, um, Egypt, you know, every country, every continent has its own shaman, its own medicine men and women, and their own way of healing. Now, what um, core shamanism did was it took all of these principles, it was predominantly consisted, core shamanism predominantly consisted of anthropologists and archaeologists and intellectuals who travelled the world and realised that there were some basic principles that every indigenous community had when it came to healing. Things like working with the land, working with plant medicine, working with the drumbeat, working with song, working with ritual, working with dance. And that when these things were utilised in a certain way and created states of ecstasy and states of -of out-of-body experiences, that there was a kind of fusing with another power, another energy, a higher power, and that this was called God-Spirit-Universe, Great Spirit, and that this was then used for healing and used in community. And all of these practices got collected along the way in terms of travels that these anthropologists and these um, archaeologists and these... uh, intellectuals went on they gathered all these practices and distilled them into what became known as core shamanism which is this core belief that the shaman is one that goes into the darkness can see in the darkness and accesses these states of darkness and these states of seeing through ecstasy and ecstasy is accessed through drumbeat through song and through music and that these altered states of reality allow them to bring in healing for the individual um That's the basis of core shamanism. Indigenous shamanism is very different. It it may use, for example, there might be shaman who use um, drumming, but their way of drumming will be different um, across the world. There might be other shaman that use dance as a way to enter into states of ecstasy um, and higher connection. There might be other shaman that only use plant medicine, and they won't use the drum and they won't use the song. So indigenous shamanism is different to every continent, every country, every tribe, it can be that specific because it's passed down and it's ancestral. What the plastic shaman have done is they've taken a few core concepts and then made it into a healing modality that they then sell to the general public. Uh, Whether that's they put on a drumming CD in the background or they drum for you or they burn some sage or they use a rat, or whatever it is. But I can tell you now that most of the plastic shaman do about 20% of what your indigenous shaman would do. Because they've just stolen, basically, and appropriated traditions that are not their own. And it's like they're wearing cloaks and jackets and hats that were never theirs, that they stole from another land, from another individual, put it on and went, oh, this looks quite good. So this plastic shaman, for example, that I saw on this program had stuck some feathers in his hair and was wearing um, some blanket around him. And he thought that made him a sh- look like a shaman. The shaman doesn't have to look like anything. He doesn't have to have a bone through his nose. He doesn't have to be having a feather in his hair. All of these things have a specific meaning to the individual who wears those things. They're not wearing those things because they look good. They're wearing those things because they mean something to them and help them to access higher levels of consciousness. So I've worked with indigenous shaman, for example, who are there in, you know, tracksuit, bottoms and a t-shirt because they're just being comfortable and they're still doing their medicine and they're still you know giving the healings but they just so happen to be doing it in the clothes that are most comfortable to them at the time. So the paraphernalia doesn't mean anything but the paraphernalia is something that the plastic shaman will hold on to. The plastic shaman will also hold on to very kind of limited and limiting views of healing. So this plastic shaman that I saw on TV Um, said, someone had journeyed and they said, oh, I think I saw bear as my power animal. And the plastic shaman went, oh, that's very interesting. Bear means strength and also lots of cuddles. I mean, what utter nonsense. Bear means so many things other than just strength and cuddles. But of course, the plastic shaman will give you a very limited and limiting view of shamanism because that's all they have. So, How do you access true shamanic healing? You're going to have to find yourself a healer that is not trying to sell you shamanism. You're going to have to find yourself a healer that doesn't call themselves a shaman because it is the community that bestows that title on the individual. If they call themselves a shamanic practitioner or someone who practices shamanism, that's different. That means that they practice the principles of shamanism like soul retrieval and um, spirit extraction work, but they're not calling themselves a shaman. You really need to be looking for someone that isn't in full costume. I mean, really steer away from those people who say, my name is Blue Lotus, Seven, uh, Seven Drum Beats, Buffalo, you know, like steer clear of those people, because again, those Sacred names that are part of indigenous communities are passed down. They're given from ancestor to ancestor. They're not names that you can just acquire for yourself and say, Oh, I'm going to give myself this name and say that, um you know, the spirits told me to call myself this. It doesn't work that way. So there are a few things to look out for when it comes to discerning what is a plastic shaman. And I think it's important to, to, to discern these things because otherwise we're in danger of really just giving our hard-earned money to charlatans but also we're in danger of harming ourselves so pick choose pick and choose wisely you know be discerning in your choice of shamanic healing in my experience at the moment there are very few authentic shamanic healers out there a lot of them are practicing Things that they've acquired and um, things that they've picked up from workshops, but they're not doing the real work. And I have other podcasts out on this on why that is. The main reason is that shamanic healing is something that needs to happen in community. You need to be held by the community. Um, Shamanic healing is something that needs to happen out on the land. Shamanic healing is something that is a a vocation, it's not something that you choose to do and often indigenous healers will have daytime jobs and then they'll probably do a healing in the evening or at weekends with their community for their community. It doesn't become a full-time business. Shamanic healing has become a full-time business. It's been appropriated and now you have workshops to meet your power animal and workshops like ec- ecstatic dance and teaching workshops and, and so forth and all of these things go against the very nature of shamanism. The other thing to say about shamanism is that it's become glamorized and romanticized, but actually it's a very um, precarious lifestyle and also a very precarious way of healing. It's when done with integrity and with power and with connection and conviction and in the light, it's profoundly life-changing. But in the hands of people who don't know what they're doing or, in their, or are in their ego, it just becomes a form of magic. And as a form of magic, it can be really harmful. It can cause a lot more damage, it can take people off their paths, um, and uh, it also has a reputation for being misused, even by those that are in the indigenous community. And that it creates a lot of, you know, shaman are very competitive with each other, and There's a lot of top-dogging and so forth that goes on. So it's become romanticised and misunderstood a great deal. And I think if you want to know more about shamanic healing, do your research, you know, do your reading, um, and don't read the mainstream books that are out there. Try and find authentic um, literature from indigenous communities and also read up on different practices within different indigenous communities, and then work out what feels right for you and what feels authentic for you. because it may not even be the right healing modality for you. I was drawn to shamanism uh, at, a, at a very young age, without even knowing that's what it was called. And I stepped into it very tentatively, and I never, ever had the intention to be a shamanic healer. But in learning the principles of shamanism, I was seeking to heal myself, And as I did that work, people asked me for healings, and the title of shaman was bestowed upon me by my community. Um, I no longer do shamanic healings in person. I don't even offer them remotely anymore. Um, But I have taken a lot of the principles of shamanic healing, such as soul retrieval and spirit extraction and clearing work, and combined it with the other energy healing work that I do and I'm trained in, and so what I offer is something that is uniquely my own. And again, that is the path of the, the medicine worker, really, is to offer something that is uniquely their own. And so the plastic shaman will either offer you very rigidly what was you know, laid down by their teacher, and they'll never veer from it in an intellectual way, or they'll um, offer you something that is very um, haphazard, you know, it's very sort of lacking in boundaries, and it actually isn't even shamanism. They'll be doing angel cards and crystals and all kinds of nonsense as part of the healing, which isn't even shamanism, um, because they've just cobbled together some stuff, but they will call it shamanism because they're plastic shaman, and they're really attached to this idea of being seen as a shaman, Um, and they will often have renamed themselves, so they'll be called something nonsensical when their real name is, you know, Bob Smith or something. So um, do your research, be discerning, and uh, have a certain degree of cynicism (laughs) about you when you're seeking out your shamanic practitioner. Um, And if in doubt, wait, wait until it feels right. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. That's sacredspacehealing.org. Wherever you are on your journey, I wish you much joy, love, peace and abundance. Until the next time.